Yeah, I I feel I feel like one of us should uh, should like like uh, hum some Neil Young, you know. Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't think bow, I should do that. Bow, 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 bow. No no no, we should. I do think that. yeah we shouldn't we shouldn't do that. So so You're, so for those of you that listen, we actually add that in later. But we should we should we should probably. So what we usually do is we usually just start talking, which is probably super distracting for people that don't know what we're doing. So yeah. we should probably explain. Should we explain? Yeah, we should we should probably tell people why we're why we're here. And I I don't know. I think we're gonna guess why we were invited, but we'll um, we'll tell you what we think that that was all about. Um, so so Don and I uh, we've known each other for I, I feel like fifteen years or so um, since I was like a really young graduate student back, back and, when you were smoking. Yeah, right. And 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 Don was an old like an old professor. Um, so and I was, I've yeah, so gotten I was closer yeah. to yeah, um, but. We so there's um, we we met each other uh, at the International Association for Food Protection, um, and I had the chance uh, when I was in grad school to invite um, some people who were great at what they did to put on a seminar series. And Don was one of the the people who I, I kind of had met him and knew about him and invited him to the University of Guelph, where where I went to school in Canada. And uh, the deal was he, he had to come, but we didn't have any budget for this. Like, we could pay for his flight, but he had to stay at my house. Uh, <laughs> and so he didn't say no. Um, and then I think we really bonded uh, when I had an old hound dog, and I, we took her for a walk. And we walked through, like, like an old married couple, walking through <laughs> my neighborhood, talking about food safety stuff. Um, and and fast, you, you know, you know what I mostly remember about that <laughs> that trip is that you were a poor graduate student, and so and you didn't pay for the expensive parking. Right. So when when Ben drove me from his house to where he worked, we had to park really far away and then walk to his office. It's true, and it was, that was and it was February in outside of Toronto. It was cold. I, I live in North Carolina now, and it's that's very related uh, the weather. Um, so. So fast forward a few years, and the International Association for Food Protection um, celebrated its 100th year anniversary. And as part of that, uh, there was an opportunity to record uh, a conversation for NPR's StoryCorps. And so it's a program on NPR where it's really just two people talking. And um, I, Don and I chose each other uh, to do that. Sounds weird when you say that. Um, and, and we sat for, for half an hour in a room in a hotel with this whole um, setup of, of recording and really just, just like hung out and talked about how we got into food safety and just chatted. And at the end of that, we kind of said, hey, there are these, well, Don said, there are these things called podcasts. And what we just did is kind of like a podcast where a couple of people sit and talk about issues and and it's like a like a radio show and that 
um, that conversation, 30 minutes, the StoryCorps recorded, we refer to as episode zero because it wasn't right after that, but a few months after that, we started recording Food Safety Talk. And so it's a podcast for those of you, if this is the first time you've seen either of us or have heard us, it's, it's a conversation that the two of us have. Um, sometimes it's like two hours long and half of it's just what we're watching on Netflix. Um, but but there, I promise you that we've not had a food safety talk episode that hasn't featured at least some food safety content. Um, but but we talk about what's going on in our research, in the world of food safety, the news that's going on, um, and, and we try we try to I guess give our perspective on on what's um, what's going on in the world of food safety. And we we come from different different backgrounds. I'm, I focus my work is is um, on communication and management, and uh, you know, but we both have backgrounds in microbiology. But I'm I'm the guy who talks about labeling, and then Don's the mathematician uh, of the group. I, you know, I thought I thought about oh. that when you were being introduced. Um, uh, you 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 self describe your research as reality based. Um, since I do computer modeling, mine is like imagination based. So it's just <laughs> it's all it's all just math in the ether. So yeah. and uh, I, th I think I'm going to start using that now in my bio. Don's bio, the the math part. Don's bio. If you heard, I've, it's it's impressive, and he lists the number of publications that he has. And mine's like a big hug, like, "Hey, I'm do social media," and that <laughs> and that is essentially how we approach food safety together <laughs> every two weeks. Well, and I was going to talk about like you know what it takes to become a distinguished professor and how hard you have to work, but you got tenure, so you can just coast. <laughs> hey, so but before before we go too far along, so we've been talking about this thing that we do. We've been talking about podcasts. Um, I would I would oh my glasses are all plugged up. Uh, I would I would very much I would very much like to do a little survey here. So first of all, I would like you to raise your hand if you have ever before today heard the word podcast. Okay, so let's let the record show that most everybody raised their hand. Okay, how many of you have ever downloaded a podcast? Okay, so maybe a third. Uh, how many of you downloaded a podcast but couldn't figure out how to listen to it? Okay, let the record I've, show. I've done that. No, nobody, nobody raised their hands. Um, how many of you would describe yourself as a regular podcast listener? Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, now, this is the, we should, we should, you know, maybe I should close my eyes and you can tell me later. H how, how many, how many of you actually listen to our podcast? Oh, that's cool. cool. That's, so there's, so that we know for sure, tell your wife, yeah. double digits at yeah. least. <laughs> there's uh, 11, 11. 11. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, um, are, so, you know, to give you a little bit of background, we started doing this. It really as a way to explore getting more food safety information out there. And there being, like both Don and I come from the world of extension, and a lot of our job is to take technical information to different people, and there's tons of different ways to do that. Traditionally, in the world of extension, it's like you put on a workshop and you bring in people and you teach them for four days, and then they go out into the world of food manufacturing and they're experts in whatever it was that you taught them. Um, and I, I work a lot more on the retail and consumer side where we may come up with a brochure and hand it out at, at the farmer's market and hopefully someone goes home and you know starts to use a thermometer. I'm, I say that with a tone of cynicism. Um, it, that's that's you know, typically some of the traditional 
some of the traditional stuff. But as as we've moved into a, a really the social media age, individuals like Don and I have had a chance to connect directly with people in ways that we couldn't before. And so we we started thinking about what you know what would this look like and how what would a conversation every couple of weeks look like and we started like I, I think trying to plan out like here are the things that we would talk about and here's the the content of what you know we'll, let's let's do this for 30 minutes and then we'll talk about something else and I think really early on we've we've recorded now um, 130 this is our 135th podcast uh, today. Um, and so we've been doing this for, for five years and really we don't, you know, maybe obvious today, um, we don't really plan a whole lot. We, what we do is we read a bunch and then we share things through text over the couple of weeks and we have a shared Dropbox folder where you get a little notification that someone put something in there like a gift of food safety goodness. And, um, and then before, right before the podcast, typically, I will look at my watch being late and scramble and open up a bunch of PDFs that Don has put in there very judiciously over a two week period. And then I'll try and read all the headlines to make sure I know what we're gonna talk about. Where Don has spent the pre previous two weeks actually populating it. Also, sometimes I give him like 20 minutes before the podcast, I'll send him like 40 links and be like, this is what I wanna talk about. Uh, <laughs> and and I, you know, for, for us, you know, truthfully, it, it works, I don't know what it's like from the listener experience at all, but for us, we would do this, like what we're doing today, without recording it. it um, it's helped me um, as, a, as a food safety nerd get a better understanding of risk assessment and where risk assessment fits into management questions and really starting to, to continue to qu question how we make decisions in, in the food safety world. So we get, I, I would say drastically more personally by doing this kind of stuff than probably the the listeners do, or I don't know if it's drastic, maybe it's the same, but yeah, well, and I've often said, and I will say again today, I would do the podcast even if nobody listens because it's really fun to get together with Ben and chat for every for every you know every couple of weeks talk about something and and I would say you know I would describe it if you want to put it in the risk analysis framework, I kind of focus. Uh, on things from a risk assessment perspective. Ben is focused on risk communication, and neither of us really know anything about risk management. But, but we're, we, but we're, we but really we, pretend. But we, but, we keep, but we can fake it, right? Uh, so none of us really have any risks, uh, food safety risks that we have to manage, unlike, uh, unlike all of you folks here in the audience today. So um, yeah, so, so, that's, so that's it. We didn't, uh, we didn't prepare, and uh, I'm about out of ideas, so. Yeah. No, we got, <laughs> no, no, we got no. so much stuff to talk about. Um, one one of the things that uh, that we do um, almost every podcast, and as as our listenership's grown, we're we now. So Don asked a question about how many people download and and maybe don't listen. We don't really have a sense of how many more of the the eleven of you actually listen to it. We do know we can look like track creepy wise on. Um, on our website that we can see how many people download or subscribe to the feed. And so we, we get about 3,000 subscribers uh, to each of, the, each of our episodes, which is also bizarre. Um, but what, what we do, and, and we know every once in a while there are some, some really passionate folks that um, provide us with questions and they come across our podcast and they're not in the food safety world, but they want to know, you know, is, is like keeping butter on your counter safe. And then, so we, we do a lot of listener feedback. And so 
Dawn, um, and I, I, we, we have a box full of stuff. This is pre-listener feedback. Or there are some questions in here that uh, we'll tackle uh, as we go on today. And these are questions that came from um, attendees uh, of the meeting here. And we haven't looked at them. In fact, Don beforehand went to look at it. And I was like, don't look at those until we, we're ready to read them, because let's not form an answer yet. I, I did see something about cucumbers. And we are actually doing some research on cucumbers, so I'm really anxious to talk about that. But bef before, before that, <clears throat> we have some very important uh, feedback. And so you can go on the website, and you can send us messages. And so we ask the individuals to, to check off um, whether they want to be anonymous or not. And we, and we would lo we love to hear from people in the food industry who kind of give us the inside scoop, right? Um, and so here's some, some listener feedback. Um, it says, uh, you can read my message, but not my name. And the person's name is Joanne Robert. And, and <laughs> just wait. Sorry, just wait, sorry just Joanne. Wait, sorry. Well, it's J-O-U-A-N. So maybe it's Juan? I don't know. Um, hello, comma. I am looking to purchase an order from your company to our store in the Scotland. <laughs> I want to know if you can ship international and also your form of payment, e.g. credit card. Please, I will like to know the type of merchandise you use in processing the payment. Await your reply back ASAP. Thank you. Yours, Juan Robert. So. I'm pretty sure that's not real listener feedback, <laughs> but but we but we honestly do get real listener feedback, and only some of it is spam. And we so. but we count that. We count it. That's we totally count that's it. one listener feedback in the bucket of listener feedback for this week. <laughs> um, so so can we do follow up? Yeah, well, let's do follow up. So. Um, oh, we, also, sorry before we do this. So Don and I are not doing email right now, but. Our entire, like, how do we actually do the podcast? Well, speak for yeah, Don's doing email. Um, our, how we do this podcast is Don, and I'm going to, like, totally pull, that, pull back the curtain a little bit. Don lives in New Jersey. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, we do not meet on I-85 every couple of weeks to do this podcast. He's somewhere, either at his house or in his office, and I'm somewhere either in my house or in my office, and we do this on Skype and how, how this works, we, it's very odd. We've only, like, we never are in the same room doing, we don't even look at each other when we're gonna do this because we would never look at each other during a podcast. Um, and, but what we're, what we're sort of constantly doing is like, oh, we have notes and we have some stuff that we wanna look up. So <laughs> that's why we have our computers on our lap. And I figured I should explain that to everyone. And, and, and so, and, and you know, b before we were talking about like, where should we stand? Should we stand at the podium? Should we sit? And then we were sitting and Ben's like, well, well people won't be able to see us because they're blocked by the podium. So we tried to move forward. But then it occurred to me, Ben, this is a podcast. It's, you don't really you don't have to look to at us, us right? I mean, you could just listen. So, yeah. you know, and if you have your laptops open and you're doing email, and that's, that's totally that's cool. fine with us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so, listener, it's, it's funny to have a laugh track, too. Like, we yeah. say stuff that we think is kind of funny, <laughs> but it's, it's probably not that funny. And it's, uh, it's, you, guys are, you guys are a very kind and generous <laughs> audience, so thank you. Um, so we have, uh, we have a, a, a bunch of listeners, and uh, one of them is a wonderful person from Twitter uh, called Captain Marm. It, that's her, her Twitter handle, uh, Captain Marm or Captain Merriam. And uh, she's uh, actually a lovely woman who I've met in real life. She actually came to, um, I don't think she's stalking me. I think she came, <laughs> she came to the, apologies, Captain Marm. I know you're not stalking me. You're, you're probably stalking Merlin, but 
um, but he keeps his uh, location uh, uh, hidden. Um, so, so we actually met her uh, when she came to the IAFP uh, uh, meeting uh, wrap-up celebration at the end of my presidency year. And she's she's a delightful person, and she's she's also like really good at the internet. And so, um, last time uh, we had a question. Uh, it was really bugging me. Okay, and 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 again, you may, this may bug you too if you're if you're microbiologically inclined. It was really bugging me that all the time when you see journalists write about E. coli, how do they spell it? Well, the way that was the most recent time that upset me: lowercase e hyphen c o l i, right? Which is not the way you spell it, and it occurred to me that. I often see it misspelled in this way, and I wondered why and what the origin of that was. And of course, our listener, Captain Marm, says, um, what does she say? She says, um, E hyphen coli slips into Gardner's modern English usage in, within the context of a different word, citing a Boston Globe article from the 1990s. And so, see, this is why it's great to have listeners like Captain Marm, because she can actually look st stuff up like this. And so this is, um, uh, again, this, she's talking about Gardner's modern American usage, and uh, she also goes on to write on Twitter, I, I can't imagine James Garner just having not noticed that, but maybe he was giving up some editorial control to record the audio for Shazam. Um, uh, and then she, she, uh, she links to it. She's probably more desirable as a follow-up rather than my, my vague musings on Maverick, both important in different ways. So, so here's Captain Marm <clears throat> not only researching on the internet, but making a pop culture reference, uh, James Garner and <laughs> Maverick, uh, and then eventually giving us a link to the, uh, the Google book results for uh, this origin of this uh, phrase, uh, E. coli. So, so thanks, Captain Marm, and that is uh, listener feedback for this episode, Ben. Yep, that, that was it. We, we recorded our last episode on, I think it was Thursday last week, so uh, we're, uh, we've got two back-to-backs uh, and not, not a whole lot of feedback, but we got a box full of stuff. Um, before, I guess before we get to that, um, there are a couple things that are going on in the news this week that I wanted to, to highlight. And, and so I, I, my, my assumption is that you know, we've got a, a room full of um, state and local and federal regulators and, and some industry folks and some academics. So you're probably as on top of this news as, as we are, but um, there's uh, a whole bunch of hepatitis A going on in Southern California, as you may have heard. And um, it, it's been linked to um, a homeless population as being sort of one of, the, one of the major sources, but we've now seen it slip into uh, food a little bit where a fruit uh, cart um, a staff member, so one of these like non-traditional um, stands for fruit, has tested positive for, for hepatitis A. And hepatitis A is one of these pathogens that I think Don and I, we talk about, we talk about a lot. Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting one from a risk assessment management communication standpoint. Uh, the term, uh, the way that I, I kind of approach it is, you have someone who is positive for hepatitis A, it doesn't matter whether they are a superstar hand washer. Like it really won't matter from a business owner standpoint because you're going to have vaccinations. Like you're going to have a public health response because we have this window of time in between exposure um, and when when you can really effectively reduce the risk. And so when I, I do a lot of training of managers of restaurants and we design courses and and stuff and and this this is one where 
I would, if I was a business owner, hepatitis A, I would would be the one that that I, would scare me the most because I I could have the best standard operating procedures, I could have the best employees, and I'm still going to have a lineup of this one. Like, I think it was like uh, 600 people that might have been exposed. Um, and, and just the public relations aspect of that is massive. And I, I look at this, we, we've talked a, a bunch and I've written on barf blog, barf blog about, um, uh, hepatitis A a lot. And the, the risk, you know, it's, it's made the, of exposure is probably pretty small, but you have to have this response. And then there was a, a situation maybe three years ago in New Jersey where I, I'm usually like, I bet that no one is going to get sick in most of these situations. Like it's something that we have to do, but I think that there's not a lot of risk. And then we had a situation in New Jersey a couple of years ago at a restaurant called Rosa's. And we have show notes that goes along that go along with this. So we'll, if you go back and listen to the episode, you can see the link. Uh, we'll link to this in show notes. But um, at Rosa's, there was, uh, uh, you know, maybe three, 400 people were exposed, but there were three illnesses afterwards for people who didn't take the vaccination he the vaccination warning which which is crazy so it's like even we we still have these um these exposure windows and it and it does matter and i look at these hepatitis a things i'm like man this is not a not a good situation um for for this business but um but there you know there may be ill individuals afterwards Ben, some sad news. Um, uh, Rosa's uh, is now closed. Oh. 2016, they closed the doors. Uh, the outbreak was uh, was 2014. So, well, sad, sad, news. We'll, sad news. We'll we'll pour one out for Rosa's. Absolutely. Later. <laughs> <laughs> um, some other stuff that's uh, that's going on. Don, one of our f hottest favorite topics. Uh, there's people getting sick from raw milk. Locally sourced? Locally locally sourced. Uh, yeah, do you know about this one? I don't. Tell me oh, about it. Oh, well. <laughs> you, did, you didn't put, you, you, you spent this, this long intro did. telling people how you put stuff in the Dropbox. I just didn't. And, that none and then of, I, didn't, none I, of, I didn't, this I is just am, off the cuff. I'm totally frantically trying to pay yeah. attention to him, Googling stuff. So because, <laughs> see, here's the thing. I, I do, I, I, we share, we take turns posting the podcast, okay? Um, but my job always is to open up all of these tabs in Safari as we're talking about stuff. And so at the end of the show, there's a little macro uh, that I click a link and it drops all of those into a, a, text, uh, a text document that we can edit later. Um, but, and usually what happens is Ben is, is texting me stuff. So it's showing up on my computer and I'm doing all of this stuff. I just He's, texted him. And thanks, thanks, Ben. <laughs> um, but I'm not I, anyway. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So what what, we, what do you want to talk about now? Um, uh, raw okay. milk. Yeah. So raw milk. CDC Texas health officials warn about illness linked to raw milk from a Texas dairy, um, and it's a uh, uh, brucellosis. Ooh. It's, yeah. So it's a old school. Yeah. It, exactly. This is like an old school uh, pathogen. Uh, RB51. It's a weakened strain of. Uh, brucella, which is used to vaccinate young female cattle, so it's not a oh. naturally—I uh, uh, mean, it's naturally occurring, but it's it's linked to uh, vaccinated um, uh, uh, cows. So kind of a, kind of an interesting one here, um, but it's a, a, another yet another raw milk um, outbreak. And Don and I actually one of we—if you—if you, if you kind of look back to the story arc of food safety talk, um, we we got into a discussion early on, probably about four years ago. 
um, about raw milk and, and sort of one of the challenges that we have with, with raw milk um, in states, I, I live in a state where it's illegal to sell raw milk. I believe Don lives in a state where it's illegal to sell raw milk. We both work for public institutions. And the conversation that we had was, if someone came to us who, who was maybe not you know, following the law, but wanted to sell this raw milk and do it in a safe way, we don't really have a way to, to help them, right? Like, and, and I know for, for my state, we've, um, we live uh, you know, just north of South Carolina, which is convenient in the geography uh, scale. Uh, but South Carolina is a, is a state where it is legal to sell raw milk at retail. And um, we've had uh, outbreaks one uh, a couple of years ago where raw milk was transported from South Carolina into North Carolina, distributed in a weird, like shady kind of distribution chain of some person meeting somebody in a in a parking lot in a in a, in a high school at like seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and and opening up a van and everyone getting their raw milk, and and we're in this weird situation as academics and. Um, extension folks where there's a, probably a, a, a big number of people in my state, hundreds of thousands of people that drink raw milk regularly, you know, purchase it illegally, but we can't really do much about it. And then we look at colleagues in other states like South Carolina where, where they work with that, that industry to do it. And I know from a, you know, this is a, uh, a, a controversial kind of issue. So Don and I had this conversation, made the comment that um, raw milk's like, like illegal drugs, um, and and in in certain places there are like needle sharing facilities to make that illegal process safer, and so that might have brought some folks to respond to it uh, in a listener feedback way, and led to us having a, a guest on who is a proponent for raw milk, and, and his name's uh, David Gumpert, and we talked to him for about an hour and a half about uh, about these these issues. But this is one, I, you know, the reason why I picked it uh, today to talk about, and Don kind of sold me out a little bit because I told him I had stuff that I was going to share with him, and he's like, don't tell me about it. Oh. Um, no, you said you had questions. I did. There was a question about Rob. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, so anyway, we... Um, this this issue is only going to keep coming up. Like we're we're only uh, the more that we have this situation of raw milk being legal in some places and illegal in other places, and no you know a, a federal sort of situation to uh, to help with the with the safety of it. We we're going to end up with with illnesses. And there was another recall in New York State yesterday for Campylobacter. Uh, in raw milk, no, no illnesses linked to it. Um, that, that was in the in the press release. But this is one of those issues that it's not emerging. I mean, it's an old an old situation, but it's only gonna it, it's not it's not going away. Yeah, and I, I want to say too, um, if you're interested in that episode, that was episode 53, uh, entitled "Raw Milk Hamsterdam." And the other thing, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that we do actually sometimes spend an inordinate amount of time um, talking about popular culture. And Raw Milk Hamsterdam is actually a, a reference to um, an episode of The Wire, which is a fantastic television program that was on HBO quite a few years ago, uh, by, directed by uh, David Simon about the drug trade in, in Baltimore. And uh, I, I convinced Ben to uh, watch it. And uh, we, we have talked uh, many times about, about uh, The Wire. But but, but Raw Milk Amsterdam, that was Food Safety Talk, episode 53. But before, before we completely leave this, I, this, 
this outbreak that you're talking about, or this uh, was it? An, is it yeah. the, it's an yeah. outbreak. Uh, illness, yeah, illness linked to raw milk. So, so there's definitely a case. Um, this, this is this is fascinating, right? So this is a case that resulted from a bacteria, bacterium that was given to a cow to manage brucellosis risk. Mm -hmm. And as it says in the, in the CDC article, um, in rare cases, vaccinated cows can shed RB551 in their milk. And so this just shows how, how difficult risk management can be because obviously the right thing to do is to vaccinate your cows unless maybe you're gonna mm, get raw milk from those cows and give it to people? I mean, right. I don't know, right? Like, so, and to right. Ben's point, right. like, you know, New Jersey dairy farmers, North Carolina dairy farmers are not allowed to sell raw milk, just like uh, uh, North Carolina has South Carolina, New Jersey has Pennsylvania. The raw milk drinkers in New Jersey go to Pennsylvania, but someday it may become legal in New Jersey, and it's incumbent upon me as an extension professional to try to help those farm. Well, I could I could tell those farmers you shouldn't do it, but the ones that are going to do it, it's incumbent upon me to give them advice on how to do it safely. So, uh, but that but this but this this uh, this RB fifty one is fascinating because what's the what's the right risk management decision? The only thing I can think of is if, you, if it's if you're going to have uh, raw milk. Uh, from those cows, don't don't give them this thing that's going to keep them from getting brucellosis. Mm -hmm. Which which but but that has knock on effects too, right? So okay, well we know that sometimes. You, so I don't know. It's it's, uh, it's a tough what one. do you do, yeah, right? I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's that's what we do. Is like yeah, I don't know, I don't know. And then we and then there's an awkward pause, and then we're like, okay, next topic. <laughs> so so speaking of which I have I have stuff that I'm going to ask you but should we should yeah, we go let's, to, let's let's go, into we're the, going to the box, the we're box. Going to the box. Yeah. so so for those of you who are listening to this recorded and are not here live uh, Ben and I are sitting next to each other studiously trying to not make eye contact um, but there is a uh, I don't know it looks like a little a little laundry basket maybe about the size of uh, like a notebook uh, with sides and it's white and there's little white cards and Ben is going to read to me from one of these little oh and that oh. comes from our audience members so thank you this is a tough this is a Ooh, tough one okay I don't know if we should just skip it. That's how tough it is. Oh, come on. We, we already didn't solve the RB51 problem. Fair enough. Let's, we could just go be like, another the other one could be just, mm-hmm. Uh, liquid nitrogen as a food ingredient in a drink. CFR requires liquid ni nitrogen to be food grade, and GMPs followed. Sound, sounds reasonable. Yep. Question, what are the food safety concerns? Can you elaborate on the use of liquid nitrogen in food service, drinks, foods and drinks? Wow, I, I would say the biggest risk with liquid nitrogen is maybe like hurting yourself, right, from liquid nitrogen. Yeah. So uh, that that to me is the because it's it's like serious, right? Like you you could you freeze your hand off and, and hit it on the table, and it shatter your hand. It <laughs> yeah. sounds terrifying. Yeah. Um, Not a food so, safety concern. Um, I, I just went and sat on my hand. Like I don't know <laughs> a total like response to Don's comment. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think there's a lot of food safety concerns. I yeah. think liquid nitrogen probably does a pretty good job of killing bacteria. Um, of course, it has to be food grade, um, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I guess I don't know enough about the liquid nitrogen refinement process to, to sort of comment on the toxicology side of things, but from a, from a microbiological standpoint, it would be a pretty, pretty super pathogen to survive in that environment. Yeah, so can I ask you one now? Oh, Please, please okay. do. Um, make it now, don't make it so hard. Now, <laughs> pick the next one on the list. So, so interestingly, so some people folded their cards, some people did not. 
I, I will probably do them all. And then one person didn't follow directions, okay? Everyone else used the three by five cards. This person, you know who you are, just wrote it on hotel stationery. So <laughs> anyway. Um, someone, someone heard that we were gonna do this, went to their room last night and was like, I have a question. I need to write this down right now. It's on a hotel and then, then brought it to us. How, how do we ensure that ethnic foods slash new emerging foods are safe for consumption? Are there training materials oh. available for operators um, or something? Um, uh, can we do outreach without being of, of be bringing offense? Mm. Oh, so this is good. So it's this a good is question. right. So so for sure we need to do something um, with respect to ethnic foods, new and emerging foods. Um, so what is available in terms of training, and how do you do it while being culturally sen culturally sensitive? It's a good question. Yeah. Um, so I've, we have a colleague at uh, Clemson University, Angie Fraser who has, has done some work looking at food safety in ethnic restaurants specifically, not so much on um, uh, consumer uh, areas. And then another colleague, actually uh, a former uh, Rutgers uh, graduate, uh, Jennifer Quinlan at Drexel, who's also looked at uh, food safety practices in the home of uh, different uh, ethnic backgrounds. And I think this is, the, it's, it's, a large, it's a larger question that I, what we're not super good at in the world of food safety communication is understanding audiences and understanding why individuals may uh, cook a certain way or choose certain foods. And I, I think that the materials, and you know, at least from Jennifer and, and Angie's stuff, uh, when they've worked with operators and, and consumers, there, there is a, a cultural connection to food um, and many of us learn how to cook or, you know, if you cook or um, from our families and, and it is linked to our, our heritage. And that being able to recognize that first without sort of running into a restaurant being like, your food is different from the food that we're used to seeing and you have to do things differently because it doesn't meet our standard is probably the first step. Understanding the the cultural significance and why certain things pop up. I, I think to some of um, some of the more recent um, outbreaks that we've seen, uh, especially with with different populations, there's uh, there's been some botulism linked to uh, fermented um, meats, usually like either whale or seal meats in Alaska. Um, and it, that one is about an old traditional style of preserving food being done it, with new technology in, in a way that makes it a little, a lot less safe than it was before. But instead of using um, breathable um, uh, containers, using plastic and then creating this uh, anaerobic environment. And, and so I, I think to really move it forward, you have to get a sense of, why and how, and I think the most successful um, example of this, if you if you want to look for um, a, a model, is uh, a group out of Washington State, maybe 15 years ago, looking at listeria in homemade queso, uh, queso fresco, after a couple of outbreaks, um, and they the the idea is. is um, uh, Val Hilliers, I think it was, at Washington State, connected with, um, it was called the Abuela Project. And instead of going directly to consumers who and saying, you're making cheese incorrectly, or you're making cheese in a way 
that's increasing listeria growth, they went to trusted individuals within that population, grandmothers or uh, um, elder, uh, what's the, oh, elderly women? I don't know what the right term is. Um, and, and who are trusted is, you know, they may be, they're seen as a grandmother, grandmother figure and saying, we're going to train you so you can train the individuals who are actually making, making this cheese. And I think that's like, still, there aren't a lot of good models of using that already existing social network to, to understand why, and then get information back. Yeah, and the only thing I would add um, is the bacteria don't care, right, that, it, that those are ethnic foods, right? And so we understand principles for controlling bacterial growth. We understand pH. We understand water activity. Um, and so, you know, we can, we, it doesn't really matter from a, from a science perspective. But, yeah, the real trick is, is how to reach that, that our audience. And, and certainly the Abuela Project, we've talked about it before on the podcast, the Abuela Project is really, I think, a very clever idea of, of how you can reach that audience. And we do need to be afra not afraid to, to be innovative and find novel ways to reach those, those target audiences. So we just spent a long time talking about that. I don't think we actually answered the question, but, but hopefully we move the discussion along. Yeah, that's, we do that a lot. <laughs> I get to pick out of the box. Don. Oh. Ben. Oh. <laughs> like, spilled my coffee on my computer. Oh, that's not good. All right, we have another one. Another computer? Yeah. Uh, Don, why aren't there more regulating jurisdictions building rapport with the food establishments they regulate by having advisory group meetings or other ways to openly communicate trends, issues, and concerns from both sides and collaboratively work towards solutions? Yeah, why not? You are the people supposed to be doing that. Yeah. Don't, we're just a couple of ivory yeah. tower academics. Not yeah. our job. So get busy on that. It's, so <laughs> I, I have a comment on this. So, um, and someone signed. Should we say this, this, it was signed? Was, well, it yeah. doesn't say not doesn't to read their not name. To, yeah, right, okay. yeah. It's from Rolando from Festival Foods in Wisconsin. Um, great, really great comment. Um, we, I, I participate in our, our state advisory count, uh, committee, council, whatever. It's called... Um, uh, they meet quarterly to with engage with the industry, both from here are some regulatory concerns and here are things that the industry is seeing. And I find it's not so much what's on the agenda that's really useful there. I think it's, as this comment is, it's about that rapport of who's there and being able to, when there is an issue, get some more uh, information. I, I, I'm all about those types of networks. Um, I think for us, in my situation, it helps because all of the food regulatory people, all of the academics, and all of, um, like a lot of our industry are all located very close to us. So it's like travel isn't an issue. It's all, it's in Raleigh and everyone is already kind of there. So it, it makes sense, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah, and I, what I would say too is, uh, I'll just give a, a part of our regular plug for the International Association for Food Protection. IAFP is a food safety association that, uh, that Ben and I are both members of, uh, brings together folks from uh, academia, from government, from industry, increasingly um, through travel grants from, from our friend and, and uh, one-time podcast guest, Bill Marler, uh, funds to bring uh, local public health people to come to that conference. And so it is really a great place to get together to talk about the science, to talk about policy, to talk about outreach. 
Uh, and then the other thing, too, that, that Ben and I uh, have, have enjoyed for uh, doing for a number of years now is the Conference for Food Protection, um, which is a great place to, to meet people, to really to see the, literally to see the sausage, not literally, but to see the sausage being made uh, figuratively, the laws <laughs> being made or the food code being made. Um, so really interesting experience. And I think, honestly, you know, a lot, it's, it's fun to brag on our academic colleagues that just do research, but I, I have such a great job because I get to talk to people in the food industry. I get to help them solve their problems. Uh, I get to, to talk with my colleagues that are regulators um, and, and try to figure out solutions uh, that work uh, for the regulated industry, that also work uh, for government and, and apply science to do that. And so it's really, it's really a, pretty, a pretty cool job. And, and through things, associations like IAFP and like the CFP, um, we get to do that. And so the more, the more that we can find opportunities I, to do that, I think the better. Again, uh, you know, props to you folks for having this meeting. You're mostly uh, regulators, but you have uh, state folks, you have local folks, you have federal folks, um, or, or, or food safety related people, and then you have industry here as well. And so that's that's fantastic, and and even a couple of uh, academics. Actually, I, I saw Craig in the back of the room, so at least three academics in the audience. Oh, m it's my your turn. turn. Your my turn. turn. Penman yeah. Penmanship's an issue and with with the participants. I've noted that. No, Just, it's, uh, it's, they'll let the organizers know. It's, 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 not, it's not penmanship. Um, I'm not wearing my reading glasses, and there's a bright light shining right in my eyes. It just makes it really hard for me to see. So, uh, so penmanship is quite, quite nice. Um, what is your favorite food-related Portlandia sketch and why? Oh, come on. Like, there's only got to pickle it. Yeah. I so, mean, yeah. And, and and because it's because it's awesome because because you can use it um, in any sort of uh, fermentation context. Like we should pickle that. So uh, so thanks great, uh, thanks for the, the questioner uh, for that. For those of you that have not uh, checked out uh, the television show Portlandia, it's uh, it's about the city of Portland. Um, and it's hilarious and a little, a little bit edgy and, and maybe not quite your cup of tea, but, but uh, definitely Google, and we'll link to this in show notes, uh, at least look at the, uh, you can pickle that uh, Portlandia sketch uh, on YouTube. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good and, and hopefully won't autoplay on my, on my computer right now. But I, we'll, <laughs> we will link to that. Um, there's actually, oh wait, so now. Oh, more. So there's, a, there, yeah. I, I, you, you skipped right to pickle that. I but, did. but such as, but not limit. So this is actually a multiple choice question. So, you, so this person is going to suggest other sketches to you to see if maybe they can sway you from your opinion. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay, okay. Uh, other other Portlandia food sketches. We won't necessarily link to all of these in the, in the show notes. Um, is the chicken local? <laughs> Raw milk, milk advisory board. That, that one's okay. also really good. We can pickle yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hipster bartender craft cocktails. So. They're all really good. Yeah. You should just look. You should just Google all the raw milk. Yeah, raw, raw milk, milk advisory is really good. good too. Yeah. yeah, Don, did you know? So someone. Okay, I'm, <laughs> someone. I'm gonna see if I can find this. I don't think we've talked about this, but one of the guys I play hockey with told me that he learned about foodborne illness by watching an episode of Chips in the 1980s. Oh, really? That there was some like botulism outbreak where someone was got sick. Yeah, it wasn't Chips. I think no. this is this. This it's is chips. this. Mm, okay, maybe not. I think this is this is something that uh, we that uh, when, when when I discussed food safety with Merlin Mann, uh, noted internet celebrity, um, mm -hmm. and uh, he was saying he was talking to me TJ about Hooker. No, it was. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna list no, other no, no, 80s. No, no, no. Um, uh, the one with Oscar Madison. 
I don't know who that um, is. You're really old. Oh, God. Somebody help me out. I'm going to Google Oscar Jack, Jack Madison. Klugman. Jack Klugman. Uh, per, uh, Quincy M.E. I don't know. Are you gonna Quincy S- M.E. It's a real thing. Are you They're... getting a call on your shoe phone? <laughs> wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong show. Um, so. All right. We'll, we'll find these and, and link to them. Um, all right. Back, back to the box. Okay. Uh, Don, this sounds like a regulatory interpretation question, which is our favorite. Oh, God. We're such experts at this. Yeah. Don, does the seven-day date marking rule apply to all commercially made foods, such as salad dressings or sauces? (laughs) This is is not a thing where you get to test us on knowledge. No fun if you answer. I don't ask know. questions that have the right that have right answers. Usually, um, we would just Google the food code. Yeah. So while while you're doing that, <laughs> while you're doing that, I want to share with everyone. Um, uh, we we will link to this in IMDb. There's an episode of Quincy Emmy called Deadly Arena. When three people wind up dead, well, often we do this on the sh- we read from the internet on yeah. the show. It's great. It really makes for good for good radio. When three people wind up dead as a result of botulism poisoning, Quincy, along with Dr. Janet Carlisle of the health department, try to find out the link. Later, so full so spoilers. Sorry. Uh, later, uh, for, <laughs> spoilers for a 1980s TV show. Later, <laughs> yeah. they find out that all three people were at a huge outdoor stadium and figure out that it was the common that was the common denominator. However, the stadium's manager is reluctant to allow them to search the source for the source of the bacteria, especially due to the fact that the stadium will be hosting the World Cup soccer final. This is ripped right from the headlines of earlier today. Um, uh, uh, the re- things really become urgent when a little girl comes down with the same symptoms. Now it's a race against time to find the source of the toxin before the field becomes littered with bodies. So, uh, so that's your that's your that's your that's your homework. Try to try to find somewhere yeah. on the, that episode of Quincy Me um, uh, Deadly Arena. D- Don, I did find on the internet chips TV series b- episode Baby Food from 1977. This is a show that I want someone to find for us. And this is like when we ask the internet for things and, and, and then people find them and give it to us. Um, the CHP investigate a shipment of baby food that's spilled from a truck and is contaminated with botulism. Whoa. That's like a that? lot going on there. We got baby food, trucks, we were, highway we, patrols in here. We were both right. It was yeah. Chips and Quincy. Chips and Quincy, yep. Did we, did we answer the question? No, no, I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> would, is, is this why people tune in? Yeah. Um, something like that. Oh, it's a good one. This is this is actually one that doesn't really have a, a, a good answer. Uh, so that's we we are, we are excel at those. Um, so um, use of cell phones in the kitchen prep area. Ooh, what are your thoughts, Dr. Chapman? Well, uh, so I'll, I'll pull pull back the curtain on a little bit of research that we're doing right now. Um, not this isn't from the retail standpoint, but from a consumer standpoint, we have a, a project with um, USDA FSIS on looking at consumer handling of food items in kitchens. And we're uh, we talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but we're in data collection now, where we recruit people from community, we bring them into a kitchen, and then we give them things to cook. This year, we're focusing on uh, ground turkey burgers and a salad and making a salad dressing. And as we've planned with um, FDA and FSIS on, on this project, one of the questions has been, do people, when they're preparing food in their home, use their cell phones? 
and we think that they do. Um, and when they come into our kitchens, do they use them? And uh, preliminary data says, yep, they do. Um, and what we've what we've done with with this to help answer this question um, is we were um, we incorporated MS2, a bacteriophage, into the ground turkey, and we're really interested to see if it moves from the turkey to the phones. I can't tell you the answer to that yet because we're in data collection right now, but the 60 or so people that we've had come through, uh, about a third of them use a mobile device during this session, and we've swabbed everybody's, all, all you know, 20 of them so far uh, to, to look for that. I, 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 you know, the theoretically, yeah, the, the phones, mobile devices can be a source of pathogen. The, the question, this, this is going back to Don, who's all about transfer coefficients, um, is how much gets deposited on the phone from what and how much comes off from that phone onto hands. Yep. And, and I, don't, you know, I, I don't think there's been a whole lot done specifically on phones, but it would probably be similar to other fomites. Yeah, and I, and I would say uh, for sure a sample size of one. My household, my wife is always, uh, she, we used to, she used to, well, you can tell the recipes that she really likes in her cookbooks because the pages are splattered with food. Uh, there's, a, there's a particular cornmeal pancake from Moosewood that she makes all the time. I don't know why she doesn't have it memorized, but or why she didn't make a photocopy. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's a separate question, which is which is totally obliterated. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Very often she will be cooking uh, from her uh, from her iPad, uh, not not with her iPad, but with the iPad right there. Um, and so yeah. And how would you? So you could you could swab the the device for MS2, but then you'd almost need to take that same device. And like, because because yeah, the transfer to the device That's, is interesting, but really it's right. the transfer from um, that that matters. But again, we you know there are surrogates. Uh, we could we could figure it out. We do, we do a lot of research on cross contamination um, uh, in in my lab, and so uh, would would definitely you could definitely figure figure that out. So there was it, it reminds me of um, something that we've talked about in the past, uh, an outbreak in in Oregon, um, norovirus outbreak that was somewhat erroneously linked to reusable shopping bags or a reusable shopping bag, but it was about people, I think it was at a soccer tournament and kids were storing food in a reusable shopping bag in a bathroom and then someone had diarrhea or vomited and spread that norovirus to that food and then the whole team got got sick. That's essentially the story um, of that. But the so I, I could see a situation where a mobile device of a user who is either in a home with someone who's got norovirus or is asymptomatically carrying it could be an issue. But when it comes to the other like bacterial pathogens, I, I, my, my guess is that it's probably pretty low. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, again, because of the internet, right, um, there's a great uh, uh, article from treehugger.com, why was the reusable bag blamed for the norovirus outbreak? And, and Ben and I discussed this on the podcast, and our conclusion was not to get rid of reusable, but you guys you guys use reusable, because, yeah, we're both reusable bag yeah, people. So, um, but, uh, yeah, we are too. Uh, the solution is not to stop using reusable bags. It's don't keep bags with food in the bathroom when you have yeah. norovirus, right? Re yeah, <laughs> reusable or not reusable. Just don't put food in your bathroom. Yeah. yeah. But um, but I, I my, like and I make that analogy cuz I think that the the phone is probably the the same thing. Like yeah. it it could be yeah. yeah, it could be an issue but yeah. um 
but you know, having having the pathogen around is is the issue. Yeah, you know, and it's amazing, like the stuff you can find on the internet. Like it's pretty easy to find uh, if you search for reusable bag norovirus. Turns out though, if you search for Fraser ethnic or Angie Fraser Clemson ethnic foods, it gives you a list of ethnic restaurants oh. on Angie's list in uh, Minnesota. In Fraser, so, Minnesota, because it, yeah. it knows because it knows where we are. Oh, so, that's cool. so you know, the internet is a both, both a blessing and a curse. <laughs> All right, here we go. And so usually when we do this, we are on the internet and we have a call recorder running in Skype and so we can see how long we've actually been talking. And I think I have to we keep are, looking. so I'm hoping at some point someone's going to stand up Kim and like get, a, get a hook and, oh, oh, ooh, wait, oh, oh she, has, that, she has, she has, but have they been enacted yet? Okay. We haven't been paying attention. Yeah. So, okay, cool. All right. Well, here's, this is, this one comes We're, with a nice. We, and we are, just to let you know, we are kind of one. running out of questions. But so. we, there's a microphone here for, for others. Yeah. Um, this is this one comes like with a compliment, which is cool. Oh. We are very pleased you're both part of uh, the conference. We're very pleased to be here. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, what is your favorite 007 Bond movie, and why? <laughs> this reminds me of my PhD exam, where <laughs> where I was asked questions that I didn't really know the answer to, and had to come up with an answer. I, I am going to provide an alternative answer. Oh. So one of the things that <laughs> occurred Don's to me... Don's passionate about this one already. I like it. Yeah. So one of the things uh, that occurred to me, or th that when Ben was talking about back at the beginning of the episode, like why we're doing this, um, I have been for a long time a podcast listener. And it eventually occurred to me that... I wanted to make a podcast. And, and you would think, as a guy who'd been listening to podcasts for a long time, like that would have immediately been like, oh my God, I have to do this. But it really took me a long time to come to that conclusion. But then once, once I had that thought, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, we have to, we have to do a podcast. And, and I, I couldn't imagine um, picking a better, a better choice. So I did, I did, a, good, I did a good job uh, picking you because I think this turned out to be a pretty good thing. We've done, we've done yeah, nice. we've done 135 we're, episodes. We're not like breaking up, are we? No, it's, no. It's it's well, we're going to kind of like let into, okay. This is our last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, um, so, so I am going to not answer, so 007, okay, I haven't lost the thread. Um, I am not going to answer that question, but what I am going to tell you <laughs> is that I'm going to answer gonna, it. I'm going to recommend, because, well, you've been Googling what the uh, answer yeah, yeah. is. Yeah, the right answer. Um, so I'm going to recommend. Um, so, again, I'm a, I listen to podcasts. One, and, and, you know, and, again, uh, you know, uh, uh, iPhone, uh, Apple computer, Apple computer, uh, Apple watch. Um, we're, we're Apple nerds, and so, you know, whatever. Uh, that's just take it or leave yep. it. Um, one of my favorite uh, podcasts uh, is called The Talk Show. And the talk show is a podcast by a guy named John Gruber, um, who I have never met. Although we have uh, we have exchanged uh, emails uh, about various things, like uh, I, I made a mistake and ordered the wrong T-shirt for your podcast. Can you fix that for me? <laughs> um, but also subs things of substance, like I'm really glad that you're talking about the. Uh, politics uh, instead of just about Apple stuff. So, but John, uh, John has a website called Daring Fireball uh, dot mm, not com mm. dot net. Daringfireball.net. Um, uh, and it's nominally about Apple stuff, although he writes about uh, the Yankees, which I think that's a sports ball team. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he also uh, writes about Apple um, and uh, and so, uh, and politics now. Um, but the talk show, 
is his podcast, which he describes as the director commentary for this Daring Fireball blog that he has. Um, and he, so he, he did an early version of this podcast with a guy named Dan Benjamin, who runs a, a podcast network in Austin, Texas, uh, called Five by Five. And Dan is actually a friend of ours in real life uh, that we have had as a guest on this podcast. So that's like two degrees of separation from Gruber. So that's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty good, right? Um, but what I am going to recommend to you is a run of the talk show back when John was doing the talk show. So actually, Dan and John did break up, right? So they were doing the podcast together, and then they got a divorce, and John took all the money and all the listeners, and he'll never hear this. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, this, this was a mess. It was messy, but I, I don't know. I don't know if they're still friends. But, but anyway, there's a, there's a run of the talk show where uh, when they were talking, they talk about Apple stuff, and then at the end of the show, they would... In order, they went through all of the 007 episodes. And so my recommendation is not which one of those 007 movies I like, but to go, if you, if you like 007, and if you don't mind an hour and a half of Apple stuff as introduction, go back and find that epi those episodes of the talk show and listen to them, uh, because it's really fun to hear John and Dan talk about Bond. And, and, and John Gruber um, is, he's a bit, Obsessive is not the right word, but he cares passionately about things, and one of the things he really cares about is the Bond movies. And so here, he, 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 and this is, and I, I like, you know, the, and again, uh, I don't know, this is a very long answer, but I'm, but I, but I, I, I think, I, like I think it. I've had another cup of coffee. I think that's <laughs> what, the, what it is. Um, is it time yet? But it, no, I'm joking. I'm totally there, is, <laughs> there is, um, there is another. Thing which we will definitely link to, which is which is an episode. Uh, well, it's it's a I think it's a I don't know if it's a part of a podcast, but it's a thing that John Gruber did with Merlin Mann, who has been a guest on this podcast. So that's like another triangulation we're, point for Gruber. We're like closing in on him, um, uh, where they talk about what it takes to run a have a successful blog or or a podcast. And the idea is, and I'll link to it in a minute when I can search on the internet um, after I stop talking, um, is the idea that you you come for the content, but you stay for the voice, right? Like I'm interested in Apple stuff, so I read John's blog, but I would honestly read what John wrote about anything because he's a hell of a writer and he's just he just, it's really interesting to get his perspective on things, even if I don't agree with him. So, so anyway, we will link to that. Um, so if you don't care about 007 and you do want to hear a couple of nerds talk about stuff they care about, go find that thing that I'm going to link to. Ben. Um, short answer, A View to a Kill, which is not a very popular James Bond movie, but it's because it had the Duran Duran song, A View to a Kill, which is pretty awesome. There you go. So when one thing I realized as I was driving to the airport is I forgot my bell. Oh, yeah. And so one of the things, if, if you're a regular listener, you know we both have little, um, uh, what do you call it? Service uh, bells. Bell, bell hop service, service bells. Service bells. Which you can order on Amazon. Um, and very often we will ring the bells when, when somebody makes a particularly good point. So that would have been, we can, we can fix that in post, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, last, there's, one, there's one more in here, Don. Oh, is it my turn? To, it's my your turn. turn to read to you? Okay. Wait, I'm gonna see what it says. Oh, it's probably a cucumber. Oh, it's a cucumber one. I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah. There you go. Don wants to do this one. Don. Ben. Are sliced cucumbers a potentially hazardous food? Yes. Next. <laughs> so, um, 
we, we've been doing some research on cucumbers in my lab. Um, actually, a couple of, so I got really interested in cucumbers before there was an outbreak. Because so one of the things that we do in my lab is we test foods from the Rutgers University dining halls. We have a contract from, uh, from Rutgers to do that. And uh, we, and we, so we, I can tell you that like lettuce, a lot of times, we do, we do indicator organisms, total plate count, coliforms, fecal coliforms, pathogens, hardly ever find any pathogens, find lots and lots of indicators. And so I can tell you that tomatoes often have, you know, millions of bacteria, lettuce often millions of bacteria, cucumbers also millions of bacteria. We did some research a while back to see if peeling the cucumbers would help, and so we've actually done some work on uh, transfer, um, where you, what happens is you, if you peel a cucumber, you'd think the inside would be sterile, but because we're interested in cross-contamination and transfer, uh, we, we've discovered that if you peel the cucumbers, you actually do transfer some bacteria from the skin to the inside flesh. You do you remove a bunch of it, probably 90 percent, but about, but about 10% transfers uh, inside. Um, we've also done some research looking at pathogen growth on cut cucumbers. They definitely will grow on the surface of cut cucumbers. We've also done some work looking at the effect of relative humidity in the environment and looking at pathogen behavior as a function of different relative humidities. Um, we're finding some really interesting things. I don't want to talk too much about it because uh, uh, we'll, we'll publish it eventually, but uh, it turns out um, the way that you inoculate the bacteria onto the surface and the nature of the inoculum and the nature of the humidity in the environment influences survival. So I'm not sure what the implications are for food safety yet, but it, I think it, what we're finding does help to explain why we see such variable results in the literature for survival of microorganisms on different surfaces. But the short answer is, yeah, uh, the cut cucumbers, bacteria will grow, pathogens will grow, for sure. Ding. Ding. Good job. Um, okay, so I told I, I, I made some notes before. We got here today, and we've touched on a lot of the stuff that I was going to uh, do, but we have about 10 minutes left, and I want to do a lightning round with Don. So he doesn't know this is coming at all. He tried uh, to tell me what he was going to ask me before I said no. I yeah, don't want to know. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to know. Um, so I, uh, I'm going to read a word, and I, or there might be a couple words, and I want you to tell everybody what the first thing to come to mind is. This is like a psychology class now. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah are you going to show me some ink blots later, too? I might, I'm going to show you some ink blots. Um, and, then, uh, and then we'll open, open things up for, for questions because we have this cash box that people can throw around and, and ask questions, which is awesome. Ooh. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Raw sprouts. Don't eat them because I don't like them. Yeah. Uh, Good. Also, um, Bob Sanderson... Sprouter, I know in Massachusetts, super nice guy. I would eat his sprouts because he tests the heck out of them. Good. So, was, did I do that right? Yeah, that's perfect. I did it right. You did okay. good. Yeah. Okay. Rare hamburgers. Uh, don't like them. Wouldn't eat them. Meh, probably a risk. Not a high risk. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, not a high risk. Uh, would definitely not to feed them to my kids. Uh, one of the early, early episodes of the show, I talked about when we would go to a, a certain fast food chain. Uh, that's name remind, rhymes with uh, Billy's, so you might be able to, any, if there's anybody from Billy's here today, I apologize, um, but please change this. Uh, we would go there when my kids were young, and they would order a burger, and the server would turn to my child and ask them how they wanted their burger done, and uh, it just used to really just drive me up the wall. You shouldn't be asking a kid how they want their burger done. If I, if I want to eat a raw burger or a rare burger, that's my business. Don't feed one to my kids. Cilantro. Oh my God, Ben! <laughs> don't like it. Yeah. Don't eat it. Tastes like soap. 
Um, <laughs> He's really passionate my, about this one. My wife, you knew I was yeah, going to yeah, yeah. answer these. I told you, I my, thought about this. My wife, who's a great wife, um, loves cilantro, <laughs> cannot understand why I do not like cilantro. Um, I try to explain to her that it has a higher risk of pathogens. Um, and then she asked me, well, what about the cilantro from our garden? I'm like, that's probably okay, but I really don't like it. So, but, but I also, she does most, virtually all the cooking. Um, and, and she also, another, I don't know if this is going to be your next question, but mushrooms. No. She really likes mushrooms. Um, I do not like mushrooms, but she's such a great wife. I tell her, just cook the food with the mushrooms. I'll pick them out. Put the cilantro in. I'll just take it out. Don't worry about it. You know, you're you're already you cook most of the meals. It's fine. Just just <laughs> you're doing a great job. Stop being so nice. Yeah. All right, only a couple more here. Okay, Microsoft. Um, <laughs> um, macro hard. Mi macro hard. All right. Uh, uh, that's the opposite of Microsoft. Um, you know, I've I've got a ton of respect for Bill Gates. Uh. I learned computers on Microsoft computers. I am only a relatively recent convert to the world of Apple. Um, huge amount of respect for the company and what they did. Immense admiration for Bill Gates and all that he's doing for, for, for public health in the world today. Um, I just really don't want to use their computers. Um, I can uh, actually do have some software on this computer where I can actually boot Windows on my Mac. Uh, and I have to do that sometimes because there's a couple of legacy pieces of software that we use. We use some graphics software called Sigmaplot, uh, which makes the by far the best scientific graphics for peer-reviewed publications, not like those crappy Excel graphs you see in a lot of publications. Um, really, really good. Um, and then also, actually, I mentioned the food testing program that we do for Rutgers uh, uh, Dining. That is all, that program, well, the program predates me, but, but the pro, my participation in the program predates uh, uh, my conversion to the world of Apple. And the database that we store all that is a Microsoft Access database. Um, the office suite of products for the PC um, uh, uh, includes Microsoft Access, this wonderful relational database. On the Mac side, uh, there is an equivalent product, but it's not supported by Microsoft and it's not compatible with Access. So we, I still have to boot into Windows on my Mac to uh, look at the, uh, the Access database to issue re reports for our dining halls about food. And, and uh, I'm, I've been contemplating trying to switch that to the Mac, but it would take uh, weeks of work and I just don't have time. So I boot into Windows and I, actually, and, and the only good, I boot into the only good Windows operating system, which is Windows NT. 95, Windows 95? N NT, oh. not 95, <laughs> NT. All right, last one. Okay. Nerds. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. And, <laughs> love them, M1. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, You're thanks welcome. Thanks to the world for nerds. Thanks to Ben. Um, so I think we have a couple of minutes for, for questions. And if you didn't get one in, in the box and you have something now and you know what we talk about and what we're interested in, go ahead and, and, and ask questions. Oh, but um, as the, the, the very uh, kind and generous audio visual or uh, audio people in the back of the room said, um, you know that if you don't talk into the microphone, we, we can't no record it. So yeah. please do use the microphones if you're going to ask a question. One of those ones? Oh, okay. oh, is that a microphone? Oh, cool. This is a microphone. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll try this one. Sure. There's, there's a question. Oh. Oh. 
All right. Um, if you were to become ill with one foodborne <laughs> illness, which one would you choose and why? I, which, I can tell you which one I wouldn't choose. I, I, I can yeah. tell you absolutely I would choose Staph aureus. It would come on quick and it would be over fast. Nice. I, and, I, and no risk of infection. Because it's just it's a intoxication. Oh, that's a good answer. That's I've, I've I don't. I can't do that. About this, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't want botulism because I'm like deathly scared of it. Uh, I would have picked Noro, but I think Don's answer is better. <laughs> uh, would you drink raw milk or allow your children to? No. I, I mean, really, really, uh, yeah. Not to be pointed about it, I, w I wouldn't. Um, I don't find the risk, or I find that the risk outweighs the benefit. Um, immensely, I, um, I, I don't see I, the the reasoning from a health standpoint to to outweigh the the risks. And I'm like super concerned about my kids. I don't even take them to like they, we didn't even have ground beef in my house for like the first six years of my kids' lives. So and and it's ma it's mainly like that that might be overstepping it a little bit, but it's mainly because I worry that we don't handle it. Well, and I say we, it's because my it's my wife and she's not here. <laughs> and Don't she worry, do, she doesn't listen to the podcast. And she doesn't listen. She doesn't yeah, yeah, listen. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, but, but yeah, so I, great question. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I have been offered raw milk uh, by my colleague, Joe Heckman, um, and I declined. I mean, I, you know, it's, I just, I don't. I don't really care to. I mean, I'm sure it would be fine. Again, I'm, I'm sure actually being here in Minnesota. I, I, let's, add, let's, so I'm, let's ask a question. How many, ooh, five minutes. How many of you um, uh, grew up on a dairy farm? And how many of you drank raw milk? And how many of you got sick? Anybody? <laughs> you have hopeful hands down quick. Yeah. You probably did get sick, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then you got, you got over it. Yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. I, I guess maybe I would someday, but I'm. It's just not like uh, I, I'm not really scared of it. I just, it's, eh, it's, eh. yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I but, but I also like. Sorry to jump in, but yeah. I also wouldn't like say if someone's like, "Hey, I'm gonna drink raw milk." I wouldn't be like, "Don't do it." I, I really, I would say, "Here, here are the risks, and do it, do what you want." Um, yeah. That's, and, I mean, that's the approach that, that I take to almost everything in in food safety. I, I have, I actually. You know, in this whole conversation about raw milk, I have a problem with us um, outlawing it because it creates this black market, which is, I think, drastically unsafe, uh, more unsafe than it than it would be if we regulated it. And so, so I mean, that's that's my perspective. It's not to say that it's a terrible um, product, but uh, my personal risk choice would yeah. be, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink it. Yeah, see, see episode fifty three, raw milk, yeah. Amsterdam, and watch the episode of the Wire where where uh, this, they are talking about Amsterdam. I mean, this is a, a cop who basically makes a place where it's safe for people to go and use drugs because it actually improves the quality of life in the other parts of his district where they they just move all the drug users to one spot and they try to keep them from shooting each other. And it actually ends up being a wonderful experiment that 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 fails uh, when it gets exposed to the news media. And it, I realize it's fiction, but but uh, yeah. Here we go. Do you text in the bathroom? <laughs> uh, yeah. Ben, Ben, have you have you ever um, had an, an accident <laughs> with your phone while you were in the bathroom? Uh huh. And and what and what what happened? I had to get a new phone. <laughs> I, and and I, I didn't know about the rice trick. Uh, I also had a. I also email in the bathroom, uh, so I don't just keep it to just text. Also, Facebook um, and Twitter, and 
um, emailing in the bathroom got me into trouble with Gwyneth Paltrow, um, which is like a whole other story we probably don't have time for. Uh, but but I did talk about it on one of our episodes because I responded to we we did some research on cookbooks and one of the cookbooks was a Gwyneth Paltrow book and her people challenged us on it and I wrote a really terse response while I was in the bathroom. Um, and I didn't sort of think through my response because I was occupied. And I, then it became a much bigger story. <laughs> but yeah, 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 I do. And I, and I do as well. Um, and I always wash my hands after I poop. And sometimes I don't wash my hands uh, if I don't poop. So I'm yeah. just saying. You know. we, we've also talked about the ta- risk, risk assessment side of that on another episode. <laughs> Sorry, folks. This is our last question. You don't, you don't ever you. have to have us come yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, I wish we could have ended on the poop question, but may, hopefully yours is equally as good. I think you should just end on that poop question. Oh. I'll pass. I'll ask you later. Oh, oh. No, you can ask your question. I feel okay. like... Okay. Yeah. Uh, just remember, nobody wants to eat your poop. I, I, yeah. I remember that. Please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Nobody so, wants to uh, eat yours either. Nothing, <laughs> nothing personal. <laughs> Might be someone on the internet that would argue with that. So, <laughs> oh my. Yeah. That's uh, for a different podcast. So, fruits and vegetables, we always hear we're supposed to wash them. Uh, how about like strawberries as an example? Mm-hmm. Does it do any good to wash them? They're already contaminated, et cetera. So, Don and I, we, we actually have a little differing opinion on, on this one. Um, and, I've, and I think over time, I've come around a little bit and softened my view, and he, Don may have softened his view. I don't know. Um, but I, I, you know, f- five years ago, six years ago, if you'd asked me that question, I would have said, no, it doesn't do anything. And I've refined that question after talking about the math a little bit where it doesn't do very much is a better way to do it. So it's, it's not that it doesn't do anything, but it's not a fail safe. It's not like we may get like a one log reduction. And if you look at cooking temperatures, you're looking at a seven log reduction. And so when you compare those two things, they're not not even close. Uh, and depending on how contaminated they are, it can still have pathogens. So not washing, um, you know, it, it's it just doesn't do very much. And so to focus on it, to me, is we put our emphasis on the wrong thing sometimes. Yep, exactly what Ben said. And also, um, washing your hands also doesn't do do that much. much. Uh, If you wash your hands with water, um, you get about a one-log reduction, same as you'd get for berries. Obviously, it differs depending upon the person and how hard they rub their hands, et cetera, et cetera. If you use soap, you get maybe a two-log reduction, so 99% reduction, which is why I really think that the key to preventing uh, disease in restaurants is not 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 hand washing, not that people should stop washing their hands, but keep ill workers out. Because if you have an ill worker and they and they have 10 to the ninth uh, norovirus on their hands and you have a two log reduction or even a three log reduction, that's still 10 to the sixth or 10 to the seventh norovirus, which is going to make somebody sick. Yeah. Good, good question. I think, there's, I think we have to cut it off because um, there's Buffalo Wild Wings is calling. <laughs> they, they called. They're like, where are you guys? <laughs> You're late. We're, you're late. We, yeah, there's, there's beer and stuff here and, and soda. I heard I heard there was soda. So, uh, anyway, thanks, thanks so much for Thank you. this participating. You guys were great. Yeah. 